Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. I want to welcome those again online. Uh, we are finishing up a series called All for the One, sort of a, a big weekend, a holiday weekend, uh, and it's also the beginning of a real cultural icon in Washington State. If you're new to the state, I want to introduce you to something. It's something I grew up learning about as the Puyallup. Uh, now we call it the Washington State Fair. How many of you have ever been to uh, the Washington State Fair? Raise your hand. Yeah, most of us. Uh, the rest of you need to get a little highbrow culture. Uh, it is amazing. Uh, first of all, you get to go to Puyallup, and then you get to park on someone's lawn for $20. Uh, yeah, no, this is a real thing. This really happens. And then you go inside, and uh, you get some elephant ears, uh, and then a scone. Maybe you're here today, and you're an atheist. You don't even believe in Jesus. You eat a scone, you will. Uh, you'll believe in God after eating a scone. And then, of course, if you want health food, there's fried zucchini. And uh, then you get to go on a, on a ride. And these rides are really put together by some of the best structural engineers in the state. Uh, we call them carnies. And uh, if that ride holds together, you get to uh, a second chance at your food. And that's sort of uh, what the Washington State Fair is about. Actually, a lot of fun. Uh, I always go every year uh, just to relive some childhood memories. You, you know, as we're finishing out this series, uh, what we're doing is we're not so much looking to past memories, we're looking to future. But as we look into the future, we also have to consider sort of where has God brought us to uh, up until this point. We've been looking at one chapter in the Bible, Luke chapter 15, and it's pretty simple. It has one theme. We've looked at different aspects. I'm finishing up today, and then we'll have communion together. And it's about things that were lost, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And uh, it, for me, it's easy to think of things that I've lost. I love tile. If you ever have the tiles, put them on your keys. Because I lose things all the time. I remember when my wife and I were first uh, married, and uh, here she is. She's right in the front row. And, and uh, we were given a gift around Christmas. We were broke as a joke. We had this little apartment next to the railroad tracks and the freeway. And someone had given us a card with $100 in it. And you say, oh, $100, that's nice. To us, it was like $10,000. And so we, so we had this, we unwrapped the gifts, and then as it, as it would happen, we put everything away, went to look for the $100 and could not find it. We couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, it really was like, this was, this was a super big deal uh, to us at the time. And then if you're single, you're not going to understand what happened next. But if you're married, you'll get it. What do you do when something like this happens? You blame each other, right? Uh, and so we blamed each other for it, even though it was her fault. And so, uh, 
Uh, we looked everywhere. Literally, there was the dumpster for our apartment complex. And so I uh, went into the dumpster looking for the $100. And then I felt guilty and told her to get out. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it was, it, we didn't find it. We didn't find it uh, till quite a while later. I found it in my Bible, being the man of God I am. And, uh, but then, what do I do after I blame my wife about this? What do you do? I had to find a, a safe time uh, to really tell her about it, and so that's why I chose this weekend. And uh, <laughs> there, there, I also think of other things we've lost. We've lost our dog from time to time. We've had our dog, it was a, res, a rescue dog. Uh, we've had him for 13 years. Uh, you try to take away that little pig and you'll lose a finger. Uh, he is a, a nice golden retriever. We got him from the pound. One time he was uh, lost, he got out. And evidently I wasn't concerned enough. Uh, my daughters were crying and mad at me. And they said, what if the coyotes eat him? And I said, hey, it's just like the Lion King, circle of life. And uh, they did not respond well to that. And so finally we found him. Now circle back to this week. Uh, he gets out, someone left the gate open, and we were gone for five hours, and I find him five hours later of freedom, he's just laying in the driveway. He's thinking, I have it good here, I'm not leaving. <laughs> now, of course, uh, the, the thing that scared me the most is one time my wife made the terrible uh, mistake and misjudgment of leaving me in charge of the children while she was gone on a woman's retreat. And so uh, we, we went, in fact, uh, for some of you who aren't religious, uh, we went to a place which is a physical manifestation of hell, Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, <laughs> if you've never been there, it's a casino for children with a seven-foot rat walking around. And uh, so as we were there at this children's casino, uh, I, I found at one point I could not find my daughter. And we were playing, and we were in the ball pit and all of that, and then I really couldn't find her. And then so I started to panic. Uh, looked everywhere, called the staff to help. Eventually, I even got out of the ball pit. I mean, it was a real serious deal. And I remember thinking at that moment, every horrible thought you can think. And I, I was just shot up a prayer to God. And I said, God, I would do anything to have my daughter back. And have you ever been in a moment of panic like that? Where you think, I would do anything. And if you're, I hope you've had that feeling, and this is why. Because you get just a portion of the feeling that God has when one of his children, and the Bible says that all of us are created in God's image, we're his children. When someone is lost, when someone is, maybe feels on the outside or is on the outside or has gone another way away from him. And see, the, the problem with Jesus, when he lived and walked the earth and performed miracles, is the religious leaders of the day, they didn't get it. And in fact, they thought he had gotten it wrong. And so that's why all throughout the Bible, but particularly in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story of things that are lost, and there's the idea of this is God's heart. So before he tells this story, we have this encounter that he has 
uh, with the religious leaders. And I want to read these verses. We looked at them earlier. But it sets a context uh, for this, if you weren't with us the last uh, couple weeks of this series. Uh, in Luke uh, 15, chapter 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. This is Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus wanted to be around Jesus. People who were not religious wanted to be near him. There was something special about him. But notice, uh, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And what they're basically saying is, Jesus, don't you know? Don't you know that we have these rules? And if you forgive someone and you forgive them, you know, uh, seven times, I mean, that's all you have to do. Because let's face it, some people are just beyond any help. And that makes sense. If, if we were, okay, I know we're in church, and so our tendency is to be a little religious at this moment. But we've all felt that, right? Because it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy when someone, you know, falls into hard times or something's happened and, you know, it really didn't have much to do with them or they made a little mistake. And to say, you know, yeah, of course, I, I would want to do something to help them, even if we don't. We, you know, we sort of have that emotion around it. But what about when it's someone's own fault and they repeatedly and deliberately made a choice and find themselves radically lost? You have to understand, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about good people messing up. And I think we understand, if we'll grab the context of this, we understand what the cross is about, what the grace of Jesus Christ is about, when we get deep into the scripture and we get God's heart. See, this is why I, I tell this. Is not only it's in the Bible, because I think as we look at the younger son, the prodigal son, and the older brother who sort of was, could be a little harsh, I think there's a little bit of older brother in all of us. Now, if, if you weren't here for the first couple weeks, uh, or maybe you're not a Bible person, although this story is uh, hundreds of millions of people who don't believe in God or the Bible know this story. It's very popular in our culture, really in Western culture uh, overall. In fact, interesting, if you other cultures tell a story like this of a child who walked away from the family, but the response is much different. It's like judgment and rejection, actually, if you look at ancient literature. See, the difference in this story, it, the story is not that unique. It's a story Jesus told. The difference is the response of the father. That's what makes it unlike any other. So there was this son who had rejected his family, asked for his inheritance early, basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And then he made every bad choice he could make, spiritually, financially, relationally, and he gives a point where he, he says, you know what, even the lowest servant of my dad has it way better than I do. Maybe if my father would even accept me as that, that would be a better decision. It says in the Bible, he came to his senses. And so we then see who he comes home to. There's, there's the, the father, and we're going to talk about that, and there's a, a radical welcome. In July, I talked about that. Radical welcome is what grace is about. It's what we're about as a church. If you say, hey, this is my church, know that this is a commitment you're making. Yet there is a, the older brother who is like, he deserved it. And the older brother was right. He just didn't have the heart 
of the Father. So there's really two contrasting approaches. One is hopeful and restorative. We find that with the, uh, the Father. You know, think about the words, uh, well, think about your words in general, right? Uh, your words create worlds. If you're, you know, guys, if you're married, you know, if your words are wrong, it's not just your mouth, your whole body sleeps on the couch, right? And so, uh, but if they're life-giving, hey, you got the job. I forgive you. I want you on the team. It's, something, it's just so, so different how that shows up. And then there's dispassionate and judgmental. I think before we ever get to judgmental, by the way, I, I will say this, and I would go ahead and argue this. I would debate someone this. I think our society at this point, both left, if you ever say, hey, I'm, I'm more liberal, yeah, I'm speaking to you, more conservative, I'm speaking to you, I think has never been more judgmental than it is at this moment right now. Even the people who say they aren't really are radically judgmental. And it's because, you know why? It's dispassionate. It's believing that some people are just beyond redemption. Uh, I, I came across this. You, you may have seen this before. This was a military evaluation of uh, the British Royal Navy, Marines, and Fitness. This is what not being kind looks like. His men would follow him anywhere, but only out of curiosity. You don't want that. Has delusions of adequacy. Since my last report, he has reached rock bottom and has started to dig. He has a wisdom of youth and the energy of old age. This man is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. And we know, and it's sort of funny, unless we're on the receiving end, and, and we... Well, there, there's a writer, she passed away, uh, really of the last generation, not of our generation, Irma Bonbeck. She wrote a, a book called, is Life, If Life is a Bowl of Cherries, Why Am I in the Pits? Uh, she describes, and she was, she's a humorist, she's funny, funny. But in this, she, she actually has a, a moment where she tells a story, and it's probably a story of her not at her best moment. She describes she's at an airport, and she's waiting for a plane, and about 30 minutes before it was to take off, and she had a busy morning, didn't want to talk to anyone, and then uh, an elderly woman sat next to her. She writes this. The woman said, I bet it's cold in Chicago. It's likely, I replied, hoping the conversation would end there. I haven't been to Chicago for nearly three years, the elderly woman persisted. My son lives there. That's nice, Bombeck said, her eyes now glued on the book, hoping the woman would simply go away. But the older woman went on. My husband's body is on this plane. We had been married for 53 years. I don't drive, you know. And when he died, a, a nun drove me from the hospital. We're not even Catholic. The funeral director let me come to the airport with him. And Bombeck writes this. She said, I don't think I ever detested myself more than I did at that moment. Another human being was screaming to be heard in a desperation, had turned to a cold stranger who was more interested in a novel than in real life. She needed no advice, no money, no assistance, no expertise. All she needed was someone who would listen. She talked numbly and steadily until we boarded the plane, then found her seat in another section. As I hung up my coat, I heard her plaintive voice say to her seat companion, I bet it's cold in Chicago. And I think you think the same thing I do. 
if I'd just known. If I'd just known, if I just knew the power of that moment, I would have shown up differently. And, and the hard part, and this is what I struggle with, because I never, I never know that moment. I never know. Now, I, I'm more careful than you are. Uh, in fact, this just happened. I didn't share this any of the other services. I'm uh, in Fred Meyer, and it was all busy, and they opened up another lane, and you know how everyone rushes to the other lane? And there was someone who rushed in front of me, and I wanted to tell them the error of their ways. Uh, and then, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. They get, they get in line, start unloading, look it back at me, and say, hi, Pastor Ben, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. <laughs> that I did not say what I was thinking about this person at that moment. <laughs> and if you're watching, and I know you are, I was thinking how much I love you. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> we are invited to be on mission with Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't have projects. There's people that matter to him and why he came and why he died on a cross because sin is real. I know, you know, people, oh, I don't believe in sin. To me, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But how do we get right with each other? How do we get right with God? It's through Jesus. And what he says is, if you're lost, there's always a way home. If you want to be found again. Maybe you're here and you're like, Man, I am not into this, uh, you know, Bible stuff. I came here because I heard there was pulled pork today. And uh, you're welcome. Just know that when someone, if they took the relational risk to invite you, it's probably because they've experienced something awesome from God and they would want more than anything for you to know that same joy in your life. So the question is, how are we going to show up in this moment? My prayer is for us as a church. You know, next week sort of starts not only football season, it sort of starts when people come back and school starts next week. I'm going to ask you, really, something I don't ask you to do very often, I'm going to ask you to be radically intentional in having God's heart for, for people like you and me who honestly... Do we deserve it? Did we earn God's grace? Nobody gives it. And the deeper we step into that, the deeper our own lives are changed. And here's how you know. You only know if it's real is if you give it to people who don't deserve it. Because if it's just for, it's like uh, Mark Twain, I don't know if you've heard that one uh, before. He said, don't tell people about your problems. Half of them don't care. The other half think you deserve them. And that, that sort of, you know, and people, we think about that. Maybe they deserve it. That's the point. That's why Jesus tells a story. No one could deserve condemnation more than the Son. So how do I show up? Number one is three choices. I need to choose my focus. How am I going to be like the Father, preoccupied with restoration? It says, we read this in the scripture, it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And the image there is of God, and he can see every bad choice he made. He can see the consequences, and he leads with compassion. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And again, if, if you read this in the context of the culture, uh, in ancient Jewish culture, uh, children would run, servants would run, uh, fathers would not run, especially this man who was a wealthy landowner. You would not run. That would be so undignified. You would never run. People would run to him. He would not run. And it would be humiliating for him to do it. But the image we get is that right out in the open, he humiliates himself because he's not concerned with the opinions of others. He's concerned with the restoration of his son. And think about that. Jesus, as he's telling this story, I bet you people thought years later. That's sort of what Jesus did. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that being in the very nature of God, he humbled himself and took the form of a servant. So you and I didn't have to stay lost anymore. And then, to contrast, is preoccupied with myself. Do you know any people preoccupied with themselves? Are you honest? We are those people, right? We get preoccupied with ourselves. We, we read this in the biblical account, the older brother definitely is. He goes, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat. And some of you are like, okay, stop there. I don't need a goat from God. I'm good. Uh, well, it would be a symbol of wealth and just celebration. Uh, so I could celebrate with my friends. Later on, and this is in the scripture, we're not able to hit every verse in the context of a 30, 35 minutes together. But the father says to him, hey, all this was yours all along. Don't. Don't despise the grace I showed your brother because it's there for you. But it's interestingly enough is that the, the younger brother wanted to, in a sense, control his father through being bad and the older brother by being good. And then second is to choose my context. So I'm going to choose the context in which I show up. Am I going to choose the context of forgiveness? We definitely see that. You might ask yourself the question, why did the prodigal son, the son who had blown it, why did he think he could go home? Because he knew the atmosphere of the home. You know, this is really scary if you're a parent. Think about how your children are reacting. And not always, but most of the time, they'll react in a certain way given the context of the home. Do they feel like they need to hide everything? Or do they feel like, you know, because kids will do uh, bad things, I've heard from time to time. Or do they feel at some point they can come clean because they know that there's a context of forgiveness? He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And then later in verse 20, it says, so he got up and went to his father. The most amazing gift we can give uh, a child, a spouse, a friend is that they know that they can come home. One of the things I love is even the atmosphere you created, because trust me, it's not about me or the other pastors here. You've created the atmosphere at the church where people feel like, you know what? I can come back. It's not like if I've blown it, I, I can't come back. We've seen it time and time again. 
because we'll experience God's grace, and you know what happens is sometimes we wander away. That's why he tells the story of the lost sheep as well. Contrast that with the context of shame. And we get the idea that sometimes if I make someone feel bad enough, then they'll be good. Like if I can make someone feel bad, and that works for a moment, actually. It sort of does. It just doesn't work long term. We, we see this with the older brother. He says, when this son of yours, don't you love how he puts it? He won't even own his brother. Parents do this, right? That child of yours, who's manifesting your DNA at this moment, uh, so he says, when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you fill the fat, you kill the fatted calf for him. And it's, it's interesting that uh, we don't know. He may have squandered it with prostitutes, that he may have had inside information, or he could have just been filling in the blanks. Because what do we do? This is what will happen, is we often make it, things seem worse to make ourselves seem better. I see people do this all the time, in every context. If I can make seem, seem you, uh, make something seem bad, or this thing I'm doing before I was here was bad, then I must be really awesome. Uh, and, you know, I have conversations with people. Well, I may have lied to my wife, but at least I didn't hit her. You know, I may have taken long lunches at work, but I didn't steal anything. I may be a murderer, but I'm not a telemarketer. You know, people will, uh, people will <laughs> go through, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but the, people will always try to make themselves feel better. And you do this too, and I do this too. So I think part of this is if you will own that, and say, I'm going to radically look in the eyes of God, and I'm going to say, God, this is who I am. I'm not making any excuses. And we can be like David, who committed murder and adultery. Not many of us have done that combo. And he says, will you create a clean heart in me and renew a right spirit? And you know what God does? He's later called a man after God's own heart. Can you imagine that? Who would do something like that? God would. Or we can have that context of shame. Well, what do I do if I'm in that place? What do you say? You know what? Hey, I'm sort of in that place where, honestly, I, I need to just own my own stuff. Uh, and you can write this aside if you want to or not write it at all. I, I just was thinking about this because I know some of us are there this morning. Uh, is name... Name your sin as specifically and honestly as possible. You know, oftentimes it's, well, sometimes I do this. Instead of saying, no, I did exactly this. Uh, and then ask God for a different way of feeling about your sin. Because again, here's what we'll usually do. Oh, it really is not that bad. Or that person's worse. Or... Oh, because I did this, God will never love me again. Why don't we think biblically that sin breaks the heart of God, that it separates us from God, but Jesus Christ came, and when he died on the cross, that we could have forgiveness and restoration. And so I live under that, not anything else. And then seek to make amends. This is how we know we've really changed. 
is if you say, you know what, I'm going to try to make this right. And it won't always work, but God knows your heart. And without that step, don't let yourself off too easily. We never really experience that life change. And then choose my response. That's my third choice. How am I going to respond? We see the father, he throws a party. Crazy. This son had taken a lot of his money, had, had shamed him. And yet look at the response of the father, which is really Jesus is painting a picture of God. He says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate. Because we get that image. That, that's what God would do for any of us. That we would, when we come home to a, a loving father. Or we have the other choice. We can throw a fit. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Can you just see him pout, pouting right there? Everyone else is having a party. Everyone else is excited. The only people who were not excited was the older brother and maybe the fatted calf. They were not too excited about it. But it, it sort of you get this idea that he just misses out. Do you want your faith to grow in this season? Can I tell you something? If this does not become part of your DNA, you're not going to have the spiritual growth. I don't care what else you do. Where you say, I'm going to believe that lost things don't need to stay lost. Lost people don't need to stay lost. That I don't need to stay lost. Because of what Jesus has done and will do for me. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you in this season. You know, next month we start, we always do a relationship series in September uh, because whether you're a Christ follower or not, we all need help with our relationships. And I'm going to encourage you. Who's someone who you've written off? And you say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite them to come with me during this season. And I always say this, hey, come if you don't like it, you never have to come back. Because I believe that God can do miracles when we're just in the right place together, when we're around his word, and when our hearts are open. And maybe it's not about other people. That's for you today. And I hope that as we've looked at the scripture, you've got to see God's heart. Because when you get that, then you can ask this. Our final question is, who will I welcome home? We're going to take communion together, and we're going to do this as a reminder that this is about what Jesus has done for us more than anything else. It's paramount to understand that. In fact, Jesus asked us to do a couple things to re remind ourselves. One is baptism, we talk about that, and communion, that we will remember that he went to a cross and he rose again, that we could be part of that resurrection life with him so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song we'll hold the elements and then i'll come up and we'll all receive communion together but before we do that will you pray with me lord jesus i just thank you that you don't leave us to wonder 
You don't leave us to wonder what happens in our worst moment, what happens when we wander, what happens when we've become selfish, or even when we've walked away. God, there's that opportunity, if we would take it, to come home. And maybe for you, it's not even so much about who you're going to reach out to in this next week. It's about you reaching out to God. Maybe you say, hey, I, I can never remember a time where I've invited Jesus into my life, when I, where I've come home to God. Or maybe you're, you're like, hey, I've, I've sort of been away, and maybe even physically you've been here, but spiritually you feel like, I've been away from the heart of God and definitely allowing him in my life. And I'd invite you to just join me in a prayer. Whether, whether it's the first time or first time in a long time, you'd say something like this to God. You, you say this silently, not out loud. Just say, God, I want to come home to you. I want to experience your peace. I want to be part of your, your family. And God, I, I believe it's not about what even I'm doing at this moment, but it's about what you have done for me. And so I receive that. And I remember as I receive communion today. Lord, I thank you for my friends who are even taking that step in this moment. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his followers, even the one who would, who would betray him, and invited him to a meal. And I think more than anything, it was him even at that moment saying, you don't need to go this way. You can come back. You can come home. So he took bread and he broke it, reminding them of what would happen uh, so they'd remember it later. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat all of you. Will you join me as we take the bread together? And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And I was thinking that those who were around the table, they probably remembered this story that Jesus told. And if they did, they would understand that you can't be too far gone. That if you come home, that there's a, a father that's waiting. Let's take the cup together. And the Bible tells us whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and thereby his resurrection power, his grace until he comes again. In fact, why don't we, why don't we join together? If you'll stand with me, why don't we sing the song together one more time? as really an act of worship as we say, God, we're, we, we, we honor you for what you've done on our behalf. God, we receive in this moment what you've done on our behalf. Let's worship together. Love is worth celebrating.
You know, 1 John chapter 3 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is such a reassuring and inspiring truth to know that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the God of all creation, the one who created the galaxies, looks at you and calls you son and calls you daughter. And so every time I take communion, I'm overwhelmed with this sense of gratefulness, knowing what God did for me and what he did for you. And so today as the ushers come down, go ahead and be seated. And as we take our offering, just do so with an overflow of gratefulness from your heart, because he is good. And so you know, uh, we love to do things around the world to serve, uh, missions, trips, and we also take a, a great priority of doing things in our local community. So recently we had a day where we went out to multiple locations and we just served our community. And so we wanted to share a video with you where we just kind of show what happened that day. My name is Brian. I'm one of the volunteers here at Timberlake Church. And what we're doing here today is having our serve day. This is a day where uh, we help others in the community. We really show what Timberlake is all about and we show the love of Jesus Christ to our community uh, being outside of the walls of the church. Um, so this year for serve day, we did things a little bit differently this year. Uh, what we did is that we went to three different locations. So a lot of uh, volunteers made blankets, about a hundred blankets for the kids at Seattle Children's Hospital. I'm here at Acres of Diamonds, which is um, a wonderful facility that helps out uh, just women and families who have just gone through so much. And this is just a day where we can just, again, show the love of Jesus and, you know, kind of spruce up the place a little bit, uh, you know, do some different activities and just kind of bond with each other here on Serve Day. And then the third thing that we did was go up to Monroe. Um, there is a facility up there called Youth with a Mission or YWAM as it's commonly known. This is a facility that um, trains uh, missionaries all around the world. It's just an opportunity to kind of spruce the place up a little bit and show some love to the missionaries who are serving in the name of Jesus. This is the first time I've ever actually done this before. <laughs> so it's been uh, quite an uh, amazing experience though. Uh, I just, I, I love our church and I love the volunteers and for everyone that's serving today, it's been great. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.